Hello and welcome to this first real episode of the Ramblin' Rev podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Scott Dalen, an ELCA pastor in Southwest Iowa. Yes, you can call me Rev. This new podcast, of which this is the first real episode, or at least it's a step up into what will become the regular weekly real episodes. It's a venture based off of an old project of mine. You may have caught it in the introductory episode. I used to make video podcasts under the name Sermon Brain Dump. Now I'm working in the audio realm to go ahead and do kind of the same thing. But I produce these every week for a couple of different reasons. Now the first is to take my brain out of the mode of background work over the course of the week. And moving into the process of writing and preparing the sermon that I will preach to my congregation for the weekend, that's normally the first reason that I do these, although this particular week I'm not preaching. And so a lot of the regular background work that I would normally do, I have not done, but I'm going to go ahead and give this a whirl anyway this week. That's the first reason that I do these. The second is just to allow you, the listener, who have graciously given of your time to come by and listen to me ramble for a few minutes, to gain some different insight in the assigned text for the week. So that is why I do these. Now, when I talk about the assigned text, I am a part of a denomination or a tradition that follows the Revised Common Lectionary. This is an organizational tool that brings quite a bit of the scripture into a three-year cycle and goes through many of the different aspects of what will be featured uh, within the Bible. Now, typically in a week, we'll have Old Testament reading, a New Testament reading, an assigned Psalm, and then a gospel lesson. Typically in the future, you will find that I am focusing in on the assigned gospel text. That's usually what I preach from, though sometimes I do deviate from that. That's kind of what the basis of this is. It's a great, great tool, that lectionary that I mentioned, in assigning what the text will be so that we don't have to continuously try and come up with it on our own, something I greatly appreciate. Now, different traditions or different individuals or different preachers or pastors or ministers will come at that from a different angle, but I am a lectionary preacher. So all of that being said, that's kind of a healthy little intro, but I'm going to go ahead and get into this. This coming Sunday, which is December 8, 2019, we are in the second Sunday of Advent, so we are just getting into the new church year that kicked off a week ago with the first Sunday of Advent. We are uh, in the season of anticipation before the birth of Jesus, which of course comes at Christmas, kicking off a new church year. Uh, the church year does not quite line up with the calendar year. It's off by approximately a month, depending on the uh, way the days of the calendar fall. That's kind of where we are in that three-year cycle. This is year A. Year A is typically known as the year of Matthew. So most of the gospel lessons that we have featured throughout the course of this coming year, up through about the 1st of December of 2020, will be out of Matthew's gospel. Then that will be followed up by a year of Mark, and then a year of Luke, and then it all starts back over again. So that's quite a bit of intro to just let you know sort of where things are at. But with that, uh, as we are anticipating becoming Christ, our gospel text for this week comes out of Matthew. It's chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and this is kind of a prelude to the baptism of Jesus. I kind of like this passage. I actually have it pretty close in memory, having discussed it with my confirmation class in the subject of baptism just within the past few weeks, which is helpful that I am not coming at this completely blind. But uh, I also utilize this particular text or parts of this text when working with individuals and families moving towards baptism, all of which sort of makes sense considering this is a part of the baptism of Jesus story. It's the initial part. We don't actually get to Jesus, though we do kind of hear John the Baptist talking about him. But again, this is an anticipatory text for what is going to come and what John the Baptist 
anticipates uh, Jesus' ministry looking like, or at least the Messiah's ministry. So all that being said now, let's go ahead and read this passage, and then we'll get into it a little bit. Matthew 3, verses 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. And the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I am is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. All right, so that's the text for the week. Kind of a crazy one. John the Baptist is uh, considered by many to be, well, he's the forerunner of Christ, oftentimes connected with the prophet Elijah. That's why we have the description of both his wardrobe as well as his diet, that he eats locusts and honey and he wears camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. I've been told, or from what I've seen before, that this would have been, at the time of Jesus, very commonplace that, that this description would instantly cue people's minds into Elijah, that connection to Elijah, just how thinking something similar, imagine if I suggested here in the United States, a former president, very tall, thin guy with a uh, jawline beard, no mustache that wears a top hat, you'd instantly think Abraham Lincoln. At least I hope you would. Uh, in fact, I think I used that example to get into a sermon on this text uh, the last time around, if memory serves me correctly. So, with that being said, we, we have this idea, and then the author of Matthew, uh, the evangelist, we want to call him, kind of writes this little bit of a description in there that this is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said the voice of one crying out in the desert. We get a little bit of narration going on there about John. Now, who is John? Well, we know a little bit more about John from Luke's gospel. We know that he's a relative of Jesus, that his mother, Elizabeth, is a relative of Jesus' mother, Mary. Now, oftentimes they're called cousins. We don't know if cousin is really the right descriptor, but uh, they are relatives. But there's a difference in that John's parents, and specifically his dad, is a priest who serves in the temple in Jerusalem. So um, comes from an important lineage, whereas the relative uh, Mary is small uh, backwater Bethlehem and although connected to the family line of David, so still some importance within that line as well. But that's just kind of this little background thing about John. And what we hear from John is very end timesy. He comes across as being very fire and brimstoney, very uh, judgment, very, very, very uh, much like now is the time for judgment. I don't know. It's weird. I don't know where that voice came from. But so John has um, this this pedigree, this this strange way about him, and he's out in in the Jordan River. And he's proclaiming a baptism of repentance. Now, what he's doing is not unheard of. Baptism, we oftentimes, I think we tend to think that baptism really originated with John and then with Jesus, and it didn't. 
the practice of baptism or whatever they're done is doing here goes back to uh, Jewish converts. They would be ritually washed in the water, uh, very similar to this idea of baptism. And it's this idea of repentance that John is talking about. Now, where does it come from? Well, it goes all the way back to a, uh, the idea of ritual purification, not just of people, but of people or things in general. And that's going back in their history when they would go out to war and they took the spoils of war, whether it was um, you know, an article to be used in their house or a slave or whatever, it would first have to be ritually clean. And there were two ways of doing that. You could purify it by putting it through fire if it could hold up to it. And if not, then you put it through water. Well, an article like a clay pot, yeah, sure, that's going to hold up to fire without too much trouble. Flesh, not so much. So that's where we get this whole fire and water thing. Now, John is talking about fire, and then he also talks about this baptism uh, using water. Well, and that's, that's why, what I was just talking about. So we have this idea that of the basis for his baptism is a baptism of repentance. Now, the word repent or repentance is important, and the, what it signifies or what it what implies is also important. So to repent, it literally means to turn away from. And in this case, to turn away from that which is broken, to turn away from that which is sinful, repent of sins, and turn back to that which is good. God seems to desire this for us, that God would have us turn away from that which hinders us, which keeps us from the relationship with God, and turn back to God, turn back to that good life which God has intended. That seems to be the point of what John is really getting at here. But again, he knows that even though repentance is important, even though he's trying to help the people be on the quote-unquote right path, that there's something more that's coming. Now, we're going to find that from Jesus right after this, with after where this passage leaves off. But at this particular point, we don't hear about it yet, only that there is one who's coming after me who's more powerful than me. John knows he's not worthy. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, that's something I want to key in on, that idea of the baptism of Jesus being with with the Holy Spirit and fire. Well, we profess that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in baptism. That's just part of our theology, part of our understanding that that's a gift of baptism. Side note is, does that mean that God can only give us the Holy Spirit through baptism? No, I don't think so. I believe that God can save us regardless. In my own personal understanding, I don't even think that baptism is a requirement because of something we hear out of Mark when Jesus says, he who believes in the bap- and is baptized will be saved but he who does not believe will be condemned. I think belief, the belief in the promise of God, belief in the gospel, whatever we want to say, that's the key. But it really comes down to, but this idea that we receive the Holy Spirit that is a gift of baptism is applicable. But the other part that's really important here is fire, that Jesus will baptize with fire. Uh, Whenever I bring this up with my confirmation students who are seventh, eighth graders, their eyes usually get real big. And and I'm like, well, how's that going to work? And they don't really know. And honestly, I don't really know either. And I think that's okay that we don't know. It's one of those divine mysteries, which is not a bad thing. It goes beyond our ability to understand. But what, let's think about what John is talking about. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will purify you with fire. And that's the whole, perhaps, point of baptism in the first place, that somehow we are we are washed of our sins. Martin Luther d- described this as putting to death the old sinful self and rising in the new creation, which is joined in the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, so it's really a death and resurrection going on there. But we're being purified beyond just the physical, and that's what fire does in this art of purification. That's kind of a lot of the background 
of what's going on within this larger passage. But as we think about it, and perhaps thinking about it in terms of the season, the season of Advent, as we're waiting for the coming Christ, well, this cuts off actually in a pretty good place because John's talking about the Messiah to come, and then we don't actually get the Messiah there yet. But as we think about it, there's also the important aspect that John didn't have it right. I think John was doing the best he could at the time. But later on in Matthew's gospel, when he's in prison, but before he's executed, he sends his disciples, his followers off to Jesus and saying, like, are you the one to come or should we look for another one? Because the way that Jesus is doing it, the ministry of Jesus, the, the bringing about of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, whatever we want to say, isn't lining up with even John's expectations. And so I think even he was kind of scratching his head in hindsight. And that's really the main point that I think we, we need to take away from this, that the expectation of the coming Christ, the coming Messiah, the, the, the bringing about of the kingdom of God goes beyond our ability to um, comprehend or understand, and that's okay. We're given glimpses of it, and I think this is a little glimpse too, and then the events that happen around Jesus' baptism that comes up right after this in the scripture is also that glimpse, and yet there's a limit, that it, there's still a mystery about it. And I think that's okay. That's that, that's just one of those aspects of faith that we don't have all the answers, and that's all right. And yet we're still given the promises that we believe. So that's a glimpse into this passage, kind of some of the things that are going on in and around it. Again, this one's not quite as in-depth as or directed as my future episodes will be when I'm actually in the process of preaching or when I will be preaching that week and have done more of the regular background work. But I want to say thanks for tuning in. I hope you have a blessed week. And we will catch you next time.